When we look at forgiveness, oftentimes it's not even for the other person. And now for Forgive Them and Forget the Revenge. Amen. 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 I entered my room last week, Wednesday, and when I opened my door, I saw an inconspicuous white letter. And at first, the lights in my room weren't on. My window wasn't open. The only thing that let me see this inconspicuous white paper was the natural lighting from the living room behind me. And I looked at this envelope, and I didn't know what it was. A.V., could you put up image one, please? I had no clue. I thought maybe my mother was giving me a gift of some sort. I just see this paper in the center of my room. And as I drove home that day from school, I had actually been monologuing about the story that I would use for this sermon. It's a message about forgiveness. And recently, I had been playing a lot of basketball. And sometimes I would get so enthralled and passionate that I would just want revenge. But all of those stories would run on for too long. And they seemed too menile. And they didn't seem personal enough. A.V., could you put up image two, please? This inconspicuous white envelope, though I have no clue how it ended up in the center of my floor, was one of the last things that I had reminding me of my long-lost cat named Toby. He passed on January 12th, 2021. And when I saw that, and I didn't immediately think, you know, I'm a pastor, okay, there's definitely a story in this. But it came a little bit later. You see, the thing about Toby's passing was, it was sudden. It was unexpected. And there was something very interesting that came along with it. While Toby lived, he was a great cat, but there was one thing about him that I could never quite get over, at least while he was living. And that was that Toby would pee on the floor. He had a litter box. Shoot, sometimes he had two litter boxes, would change out the litter, maybe that was it, would get a whole different brand, maybe that was it. He would still pee on the floor. And he would know he wasn't supposed to do it because sometimes I would see him and he was getting in position to use the bathroom and I would move in his direction and he would sprint to the litter box. He was fine, but he would pee on the floor. And I used to get quite upset with Toby. I never forgave Toby for that. But on the night of his passing, whenever I came home, I was moving things around in my room. And I saw one little puddle of pee. And this may sound crazy, but if you ever grieved before, you know, sometimes your mind gets a little bit erratic. And for the first time in my life, I was looking forward to cleaning up. Toby's puddle of pee. The whole time that he was living, this was something that was quite small. It was something that was cleaned in 30 seconds, assuming that I got to it right away, but I couldn't forgive him for it. And when he passed, it was too late to forgive 
him for it. And when he lived, I would sometimes withhold my love because of it. And because I never forgave Toby in that moment, I felt immense regret and immense guilt because something so small was used to put a blemish on my heart towards an otherwise seemingly perfect cat. Today, this sermon is simply titled, Forgive Them and Forget the Revenge. When we look at forgiveness, oftentimes it's not even for the other person. It's for us. We see that holding things on our hearts holds us back immensely. But before I get into those effects, let's look at scripture. What does the word say on forgiveness? Because you may first look at a why before a how. And in Matthew 6, reading in the NIV translation, verses 14 and 15, it simply reads, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. At the very least, the motive that we have is unilateral grace. When you extend it to others, it's extended to you. And I mean, who in here can say they need some grace? Who in here can honestly say they made some mistakes? Who in here can say that when nobody else was watching but God, they did some things they should not have done, and perhaps they did a lot that they should not have done? But he will not forgive if we do not forgive others. And then you may ask, how? In Romans 12, verses 19 to 21, it simply reads, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, for most of us, if we saw a hungry enemy, that's an opportunity for them to starve. If we chose to feed that enemy, perhaps we'd poison it. At the very least, we'd spit in it, right? But what happens if we just, you know, fed them? Fed them fully. Clean drink, clean food, with no expectation of return. At the very least, it tells you yourself this. They have no power over me. At the very least, they have no psychological power over me. You release the stress and the worry of vengeance, and even when you look at the idea of vengeance, you oftentimes find yourself asking the question, is it ever enough? When somebody is really your enemy, you don't just want to spit in their food. You don't just want to see them starve. You, you want the worst. And then you may get a little bit of revenge to them, but what happens when they want vengeance back? And now you have two parties going at each other in ever-escalating manners, and then you have a feud that cannot finish until one finds themselves in a fatal place. It's never enough. It's never enough. And then you spend your life looking over your shoulder. And when you have them looking over their shoulder, it's still never enough. The satisfaction does not outweigh the worry, the stress, the angst. 
Forgiveness is a powerful thing. And if we look at what psychology today says about forgiveness, it simply reads, I'm going to just go in order of what I wrote. I'm going to just stick to the schedule. What's an example of this? Jesus. You see, when guards came to capture Jesus, somebody cut off the guard's ear. And what did Jesus do? He healed it. You see, when rulers mocked Jesus, when crowds called for Barabbas to be saved, for Jesus to be persecuted, even though Barabbas was a known criminal, whenever rulers mocked Jesus, whenever guards placed a crown of thorns on his head, whenever they flogged him with leather whips that had goat bones on the head of it or smooth stones on the head of it, whenever he was nailed to a cross, whenever he was told to carry it, even when it was a weight he could not bear, what did he say in the end? Luke 23, 34. And this is Jesus talking to those very same people who persecuted him. If he had any reason to make an enemy, any reason to seek revenge, it would be against them. And Jesus simply said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The verse doesn't even end there. It then tells us, you know, a switch of perspective, what they were doing while Jesus was asking for forgiveness on their behalf. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus forgave his enemies and they never even changed their ways. Jesus lived for his enemies, giving them teachings that they may change and become godly. Jesus died for his enemies, that if they believed, they may be saved. And Jesus left for his enemies that, as it says in John 16, 7, but I tell you, the truth is, it is for your benefit that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Everything Jesus did was out of love. He forgave and he didn't let him hold him back. He forgave, and not only did he not seek vengeance, but he lived for them. He died for them. And there's a verse that says, John 15, 12 and 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. In other words, there is nothing that you can do that is more loving than dying for somebody. And Jesus died for his enemies. What about the enemies? We find that it can be quite easy to love people who love us. We can find that it'll be at least decently difficult, but still manageable to love strangers. But what about the enemies? You know, Jesus tells us to love one another as I have loved you, and perhaps that doesn't mean immediately going and dying for your enemies, but to at least love them. That if your enemy were to come to your doorstep starving, that you could give them a plate, no poison in it. That if your enemy needed a cup to drink, that you would provide it. It is a genuine change that again releases you. And you see, there's even natural benefits that are seen. The last time I was fortunate enough to go on a family trip, I found myself sitting in the living room with my father. 
And we were watching a Netflix series about the Blue Zones, centenarians, and what was most consistent among them. And I took notes for the first three communities before I realized it was pretty much overlapping and I was seeing the same trends just in different regions and cultures. Same message, different wording. And the main consistent things were they had good nutrition and they didn't eat a lot. They were physically active and they had close-knit communities. But there was a fourth one. And for the three communities that I took note of, I'm going to just read how I worded it for each of them. First, forgive fast, live fun, make everyone happy, lighthearted. Second, lower stress life, non-chronic. Third, they had two actually. They were service slash volunteer oriented and they had a don't worry lifestyle. Instead, they had faith and they had hope. We saw that these individuals who were centenarians or they lived to at least 100 had this consistent theme of not allowing for others and their remorse, their vengeance, their disregard for their personal well-being to hold them back. Oftentimes, we'll be utterly infuriated by people who don't even think of us. They occupied every living thought, every waking thought in our minds, and we don't even pass theirs. You know, psychology today says that forgiving others helps to restore your own humanity. And that's mental, but there's physical too. John Hopkins Medicine finds that the genuine internalized action of forgiveness reduces the risk of heart attack, lowers cholesterol, improves sleep quality, decreases blood pressure, pain, and anxiety, it combats depression and stress, and the impact of forgiveness keeps growing as people age. You see, some people under the sound of my voice have held on to unforgiveness for decades. For decades. Nothing changes in the outside world. The stress, the unforgiveness, the pent-up anger does not further yourself or change the world in any positive way. All it does is weigh you down. Shoot, some people under the sound of my voice have not forgiven themselves for years. It's not even an external party. They have not forgiven themselves, treating themselves as though it is an unreconcilable enemy. But all this does is confirm that prophecy. When we believe that we cannot change, we will not change. And if we will not change, then we will get the same results. And when you get those same results, You see what's happening. You have to ask, what does it do for you? What does it change? You see, in order to change the world, you must first change yourself. And we have a limited capacity. If you're full of hatred, there's no room for love. If you're full of unforgiveness, there's little room for joy. It requires that we first release and then refill with something more positive. You may find yourself saying, well, George, I don't really matter. I don't really influence this world much. And I promise you do. Many times we underestimate the exact impact that we may have. I mean, shoot, maybe in the workplace you have a job that doesn't actually do anything. There's a lot of those in this economy. But as a person, you matter. 
You could find yourself looking at one situation with varying perspectives. An individual is wearing a colorful coat. And you may say, that's a vibrant jacket that you have. You could also find yourself saying, why is that jacket so colorful? It's, it's like a unicorn vomited on it. And you may say it under your breath thinking, they don't hear me. They don't hear me. It's good. Only for them to hear you. And they internalize that and they go home and they throw that coat away, never to wear it again. They look upon other colorful clothing and when they see it, what do they say? Why is that clothing so colorful? It's like a unicorn threw up on it. But had they heard the positivity, it could have been a repeating loop because many times these hurts only create more hurts. And a saying that I heard fairly recently to paraphrase was that generational trauma continues through generations because nobody is willing to feel the pain. We just let the symptoms continue because the trauma and the root of it is so uncomfortable, we're not willing to sit in it. And I would agree that it's difficult, but I never said you had to do it alone. Calling upon the name of Jesus in prayer Surrounding yourself in this world with a community of people who can help build you up. A community of people that whenever you're feeling that hatred in your heart, they don't encourage it. In my 18 years of living, I've only ever hated two people, for real. And the last individual, every time I would talk to somebody who was a mutual contact, they would say, you know, that person, they have good intentions. They have good intentions. And my response was always the same. Good intentions paved the road to hell. But I kept hearing that. And I decided I wanted to be deliberate in my healing and my forgiveness process. I didn't say forget. Because you forget and they do it again and now you have to start all over. But forgive and forget the revenge. There's no need for retaliation. And when I was deliberate with that forgiveness and I heard that support from individuals outside of me, I came to the conclusion that I can extend them grace. I've made mistakes. And sure, they probably had good intentions for me, even though it looked pretty hypocritical and rather a matter of biases in this specific situation. But I'll bite. I'll forgive. And that chain of hatred was broken there. That chain of anger that I felt behind closed doors, and to be quite frank, that person probably never knows I ever hated them at all. <laughs> it's a pain that we feel that eats us until there's nothing left to eat. But if you're still living, you're still human, you can still forgive, you can still heal, you can still love. And so the call to action today is super simple. Never said it was easy. That is to forgive and forget the revenge. And if it's something quite traumatic, seek therapy. If therapy's not affordable, there's various online services or anonymous hotlines that you could call into and they'll provide services free of charge. But heal, forgive. Again, if not for them, at least do it for you. Thank you. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com.
This was the message titled Forgive Them and Forget the Revenge by George Bronner. This message is number 4131. That's 4131. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4131 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often, because brother, you need the word. Brothers of the Word